Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. I might be becoming a bad baseball fan who can't enjoy the romantic things because of advanced statistics. 15 years from now, I want to be on the early baseball committee. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. I literally have the fan graphs hoodie, the baseball reference t-shirt, just repping some stats, you know what I'm saying? It's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio. We're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Chris Gianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I am doing very well today. Uh, it's been a while since the last time we recorded. Uh, we've both been very busy. Uh, but you know what? We're I'm ready to get back into talking some baseball. Yeah, it, there is Chris, always... Uh, uh, Chris also experienced... Real quick, Chris, you also experienced your first uh, Cape Cod Baseball League action this past week. Your thoughts? Uh, Cape Cod Baseball League. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely a chill atmosphere, family atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I don't yeah I don't really have anything negative to say. The concessions, I was extremely impressed with the concessions. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if that's the case for all ten parks, but shout out to Bourne. Because I had three sausage and peppers, and I was impressed with all of them. Uh, there's a reason I got three. It was they were delicious. So, um, shout to shout out to the Born Braves for delivering on the concessions. Yeah, no, I I can absolutely speak on Born. Uh, just coming through every time. Yeah, I mean, you always know what you're gonna get with them, and they deliver every time. They they have some of the strongest concessions I think in the CCBL, no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely, and. Uh, you know, I got to see a guy throw 99. Um, he didn't really know mm. where it was going quite yet, but that was also cool. You don't, yeah. you don't really, you don't really see that too often up close. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, that was a good experience. Um, you know, I was, I was in the Cape. That was my first Cape League game. Uh, but yeah, it, you know, it's been, I think nine days since our last podcast, and there's always a general excitement that I have uh, after a long time away uh, to get back into yep. things. And uh, one thing that did happen, um, you know, in a sort of controversial way, unfortunately, you know, we were waiting on the 24th perfect game for 11 years. And on Wednesday night or last, last Wednesday night, uh, Domingo Herman delivered that uh, with a perfect game with nine strikeouts um, you know, it it's it's just the way it happened, I guess. Yeah, uh, you know, I know that there are certainly a lot of people in the baseball world, myself included, that were pretty unhappy with this. Um, Domingo Herman, of course, has been previously suspended under the league's domestic violence policy for an incident that occurred allegedly in September of 2019. Um, and you know, I mean, I think it's also just the fact that we've been waiting 11 years for a perfect game. You know, the last guy to do it was this universally beloved superstar pitcher at the time, Felix Hernandez. You know, I think nobody really uh, was upset by the fact that he was the last to do it, except for maybe some ALS fans, but that's a default. Um, but, you know, the fact that it, it, we had to wait 11 years for someone like Domingo Herman, a guy that is not generally celebrated in baseball and also not someone who is even particularly good. I mean, if you look at his last four starts, it's like, Three innings pitched, five earned runs, 
four innings pitched, six earned runs, perfect game. Three innings pitched, four earned runs. Like it, it's it's truly like a it's like Philip Humber all over again. This time it's someone who is also not very much not celebrated as a person. That and it was also done against the Oakland A's, a team that is actively trying to put the worst possible product on the field. Um, yeah, it is just very unfortunate. Um, it was a great pitching performance nonetheless, but uh, you know, a lot of people have very mixed opinions on it, and uh, yeah, I I personally wish it could have been someone else. I wish it could have been Max Serger in twenty fifteen, but. You know, it didn't happen like that. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, it doesn't really have any of the any of the redeeming elements that most perfect games have. You know, it wasn't, um, you know, no matter what the potential of an underdog story, it was it was over, you know, it was counteracted tremendously by, you know, all the all the unfortunate background story um, on the particular pitcher. Uh, along with that, it wasn't really like, oh, this is a long time coming because it's Domingo Herman. He's been like the Yankees fifth starter for essentially like 25 years now, uh, or at least that's what it seems like. Um, he's He's been sort of fighting for a spot in the rotation forever. Uh, meanwhile, like, yeah, like Felix Hernandez, he was he had built a great resume up to the, the point of his perfect game. You know, Randy Johnson back in 04. He did it at age 40 and like had many, many great pitching performances before that and finally got his perfect game that year. Um, and yeah, Roy Halladay is a is a great example of that. And then like with Dallas Braden, that wasn't a long time coming, but that was a perfect story, you know, on Mother's Day, uh, you know, after, you know, losing his mother in high school, uh, he throws a perfect game on Mother's Day in front of the Oakland crowd, his hometown team. Uh, as he's, you know, as he grew up in Northern California, Stockton, California, um, you know, that was a great story. So, you know, when when the 24th perfect game in history uh, doesn't really fit any of those measures, it's it's pretty anticlimactic. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, yeah, I mean, I think most baseball fans, a lot of baseball fans are just hoping another one gets thrown as soon as possible. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm happy for, I will say, I'm very happy for Kyle Higashioka that he got to catch one. That's very cool for him. I have nothing against him whatsoever. Yeah, no, uh, World Baseball Classic legend. Um, so, yes, Team USA legend. And yeah, objectively, yes, you uh, you mentioned the great pitching performance. And yeah, objectively, it was a really good uh, pitching performance. And to break that down, I mean, he allowed uh he allowed 18 batted balls and only one two three four only four were in the sweet spot zone uh that's i think 22 percent league average is like 33 percent um he also only allowed three hard hit balls um and none of those hard hit balls uh were close to the sweet spot zone they were ground outs they were two ground outs and a high fly out uh, he only had one batted ball with an expected batting average above 500. Um, so, you know, uh, to to break that down, it was objectively a great single game pitching performance. Um, I'm not going to take that away from him. But, uh, yeah. you know, there, there are a lot of things, a lot of things that a lot of people had a problem with, um, understandably so. Uh, but yeah, anything more before we uh, before we want to move on to the next subject? I yeah I don't really have anything else. I mean I think 
yeah, people have their mixed opinions. They're entitled to whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I personally, and I think a lot of people wish it was someone else that did it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. There's many, 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 many great candidates out there. Um, you know, you think, you think every five days there's a, there's a starter, you know, multiply that by, by 30 teams, there's 150 potential candidates. I know there are some, you mm-hmm. know, openers and whatnot, but you know, over a hundred great candidates. Uh, but anyway, uh, unfortunate, unfortunate news, uh, sort of continuing to come out of, uh, out of Anaheim, but particularly one big piece of news, uh, Mike Trout, uh, hit the 10 day, 10 day IL, uh, with a, broken hamate bone in his left wrist uh he took a swing um you know it's kind of interest. it's kind of weird to break a bone on a or fracture a bone in his uh swing or yeah i believe it was a fracture not a break uh and yeah you know mike trout is hitting the il uh at a time where the angels sort of need him they're they're kind of struggling right now uh to add to that um, what did you take away from, you know, this injury news? Yeah, it's, it's really tough. Uh, the angels have been struggling lately. I know they've lost, I think like, like 10 of the last 14 or something like that. I don't know the exact number. Um, but they, you know, all these struggles have, uh, eventually culminated with trout getting hurt. He's out for four to four to eight weeks, which is luckily not that bad. Uh, I was ready to hear way worse, uh, because he did undergo surgery, um Anthony Rendon also just went down again I think that's like the fourth time this year um and Shohei Otani uh left a game with a bruise on his uh on his hand luckily he's still in the lineup he just can't pitch for a little bit um luckily this coincides with the all-star break so I think they're kind of minimizing how much they're missing Shohei uh at this time which is very good um but I mean yeah Shohei like the Angels had a very run up until before these struggles and it was literally Shohei Otani carrying the entire team uh, along with like Trout, Brandon Drury and like a couple of others Zach Neto before he went down uh yeah it is really unfortunate because this did look like I mean it's still not over obviously but this year this was looking pretty promising for the Angels they were in a playoff spot around the All-Star break you know late May last year was when they started uh sinking sinking below the, the ocean um but yeah I mean Neto was doing very well for them he went down like I said um Trout is now down Rendon is back down Otani is a little bit down um you know they're gonna need a lot of guys to start stepping up specifically in that offense uh yeah it's it's really unfortunate um you know most of the time you can blame the Angels struggles on, you know, po- you know, poor roster construction, you know, not enough spending, blah, blah, blah. We've heard the story for the past, you know, half decade ish, uh, not surrounding Otani and Trout with the correct pieces. But this time it seems to be a matter of injury uh, more so than roster construction. There's a, you know, there's a long list of guys on the injured list right now. Just looking at the Angels roster resource, you know, Logan O'Hoppy has been out for a while. That was supposed to be their everyday starting catcher. You know, as a rookie, uh, he went down with shoulder surgery. Uh, another catcher, Max Stassi, is down. As you mentioned, Zach Neto is on the IL. Brandon Drury, who has really turned it around this year, he hit the IL in the last week. Uh, Gio Rochella has been on the IL since June 15. Uh, and, you know, Jose Suarez has, has been on the IL. Ben Joyce, who is a promising 
uh, promising reliever, um, promising young reliever who has been, you know, taking social media by storm with his great fastball. He's on the IL. Uh, Matt Moore is on the IL. He was doing great for them out of the pen. Uh, it's it's a real unfortunate circumstance. Hopefully for the Angels, you know, this four day break uh, that's coming up kind of helps reset them, but it can only do so much. And yeah, it's really unfortunate with all the injuries that they've faced because a lot of the time that, that's not really to blame for the Angels less lack of success. But this time it is. Yeah, yeah it is just really unfortunate. Um, yeah, and it all kind of happened within like a two week span, really. Uh, obviously, like the three main guys on the team all within like 48 hours all went down. Um, yeah, I don't know. This just sucks. But, you know, luckily there is still time. The Angels are only like a couple games out of both the AL West and the wild card. Um, so nothing is over uh, by yeah. any means, which is good. Yeah, nothing's quite over. Um, if you're an Angels fan, I do understand maybe a sense of alarmism of, you know, maybe... Maybe three weeks ago, it was it was a definite that the Angels were going to be buyers at the trade deadline. And we mentioned the trade deadline is going to be a little weird this year, especially with the lack of um, lack of potential moving pieces. But it was kind of probably consensus three weeks ago that they'd be trying to add at the deadline. Um, but with all these injuries and the Angels going in the wrong direction, I, I'm wondering how committed they are they're going to be to add into the roster come July 31st. Yeah, I mean, it is going to be interesting. I feel like they have to buy at this point because I mean, I feel like the general consensus is if they're not buying, they might be trading Shohei um, because I don't I feel like you got to go all in on one side or the other because this has been such a make or break year for the Angels entirely. Um, I would go in and buy because you know what? Like these guys are coming back. Mike Trout is going to be back. Uh, Anthony Rendell Jonah hopefully will be back. Zach Neto hopefully will be back. Uh, all the guys that I that we you just mentioned, Chris. Like, to my knowledge, I don't think any of them are out for the year. Uh, you might as well, you know, when they come back, supply them with a better roster so they can make a push. That's that's what I would do personally. Yeah, I I agree with buying. Um, particularly because the um the idea of trading Otani is extremely doubtful, according to a lot of the people. With more inside info, I know I read uh, an article on The Athletic uh, yesterday, you know, part of the wind-up uh, notebook that they have uh, with, you know, partially written by Ken Rosenthal. And I think mm-hmm. Rosenthal was expressing the the idea that um, it's extreme, it's, it's you know, the, the idea of trading Otani is extremely doubtful because, you know, with a tr- with a trade, you're kind of cutting ties for a potential uh, free agent signing. And it seems like the angels are in on are you know, going to be contenders to sign Otani, you know, when he does become a free agent. So they're not going to trade him for something that is probably not going to be an exception, you know, as a, as exceptional a return as they deserve for Otani. Um, so they're they're probably not going to end up trading Otani. So they should, you know, potentially add add around Otani, add around Trout. Um, and when they come back, they'll have a more sufficient roster and potentially try and get that, you know, sixth or fifth seed in the uh, in the American League wild card. Yep, I agree. Um, but but yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Trout's out four to eight weeks. Um, you know, Otani. 
Otani, I'm not too concerned about. It seems like a blister slash bruise issue, and he can still hit. So that's that's always good. That's the good thing about Otani. If he can't do one, he'll probably be able to do the other. That's pretty cool. Um, and yeah, the Angels. Yeah, the Angels have lost 11 out of 15, unfortunately. Um, but hopefully for them, they can redirect. Uh, maybe use this All Star break as a as a little stopping point. As a reset for this, for this bad trend. Um, a team on a good trend, uh, in fact, an exceptionally good trend, are the Atlanta Braves, who have won 25 out of 29 uh, for overwhelmingly the best record in that span. Uh, I mean, the what the Braves have been doing is unbelievable. It's not even that surprising, but I mean, when when they're playing at this level, you really have to talk about them. Yeah, I mean, this offense specifically has been absolutely destroying the ball uh, over the last 29. uh, 203 runs scored in 29 games. I feel like that's, like, pretty good. Yeah, that's that's pretty exceptional right there. Yeah, uh, as a team, they are are slashing 309, 371, 577 for a 400 Woba and a 150 weighted runs created plus. Uh, they are absolutely destroying the ball on all fronts. It is basically a joke. It is absurd uh, what what they are doing. Yeah, on on all fronts, on all fronts of offense, they are absolutely on all fronts of offense at the plate. They are absolutely dominating because you mentioned that slash line, you know, 309, 371, 577, 948. All those lead all of baseball in that span. And along with that, they have the lowest strikeout in lowest strikeout rate in baseball. Uh, In terms of how well they're hitting the ball, they have the highest average exit velocity in this span. Uh, They also have the highest barrel rate in this span. Um, They have the highest expected numbers. I think in the entire slash line, I just looked there. They have the highest expected batting average batting average you know not only are they hitting 309 but they're expected to hit 291 which is amazing they're expected to slug uh 543 which is 60 points above the next expected slugging uh in that time span and uh and yeah i mean like just up and down it's been amazing and it's you know they faced and they faced a mix of levels of teams uh they've faced the phillies who are also doing well and they've faced uh you know i think they faced they face the road Rockies, but they also face like the guardians most recently who are typically a very good pitching staff. So, I mean, they're not doing it against all, you know, when you're doing it in 29 games, it's not going to be against all last place teams. I mean, these are all, these are all, you know, pretty on average, like a pretty, you know, mid-level or quality yeah. major league, uh, major league rosters. The Braves have eight hitters in this span that have at least 72 72- Places and a weighted runs created plus above 140, uh, including Ronald Acuna Jr., Michael Harris II, Ozzy Albies, Matt Olson, Sean Murphy, Travis Darnell, Mar- Marcelo Zuna, and Eddie Rosario. Um, that's nobody. Nobody has been performing bad on offense. That's gotten significant playing time, except for like, if you can even count, if you want to count Orlando Arcia, who only has a 95 weighted runs created plus. Yeah, uh, in, in in his last 117 plate appearances. Yeah, who started this year, or I think is continuing like, this year as the nine hitter. Yeah, 
who's also a starting all-star like yeah, deservingly so your your nine hitting uh your nine hitting shortstop is is five percent below average offensively boohoo yeah you know after you just let a 170 million dollar shortstop walk yeah <laughs> yeah not it, to mention that part as well it's pretty wild it's, it's pretty wild what they've been able to do um you, you're and and what you're seeing with this Braves lineup is its maximum potential and its maximum potential mm-hmm. is extremely scary they've they've had guys you know um in the past couple of years they've had guys on their upswings and get guys on their downswings you know Acuña was technically on a downswing last year Matt Olson was not at his highest potential last year Michael Harris earlier this year was at an extreme uh downturn had like a low low 500 OPS now all of them are performing at the level they should be or at a higher level than they should be, which is, I mean, extremely scary. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's pretty nuts. It is uh, it is extremely nuts. I mean, it seems like every game uh, you're watching with the Braves, like there's a there's an MLB highlight of someone hitting a home run in the first inning. Um I know Matt Olson has well, like aren't they like particularly insane in the first inning? Uh oh yeah, they are. And and Matt Olson is one of the perpetrators of that. I think he has unless he added more, he has uh 10, 10 first inning home runs, which is pretty wild. Um but yeah, yeah, the the Braves in the first inning are are pretty crazy. I think Sarah Langs has uh tweeted about that. Obviously. Obviously. She's the first on everything. So the Braves in the first inning this year, uh, as a team, they are hitting 345. <laughs> what? They're, and this is the whole year. They are hitting 345 as a team in the first inning. Uh, the Nobody else has an average above 299. Quite literally, no one else is at the 300 mark. They have 29 home runs in the first inning. That is the most in baseball. Uh, they have a 10.53 OPS, a 6.63 slugging, a 3.90 on base. All of those lead the majors. Yeah, they are absolutely out of their minds. A 177 weighted runs created plus. The next highest in the league is 146. Uh, yeah, they are absolutely out of their minds in the first inning. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they, it's it's pretty unbelievable what they've been able to do. Uh, to start to start the games and set the tone. Um, also they have just, 91 first inning runs too. The next highest in the league is 67. Yeah, that's the average is more than a run a game in in one inning. That's yeah. insane. That is so, legitimately insane. Or yeah, technically, yeah, technically, if you allow one run to the Braves in the first inning, that that brings their average their uh, average down. Yeah, you contain them pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, you're pretty lucky to get off that easy. Uh, so, so yeah, the, the Braves are, are, I mean, it's, it's pretty wild what they've been able to do. They've, you know, increased the gap in the NL East, uh, surprisingly enough, the Marlins are the team that's directly behind them still, uh, looks like they're eight games up, um, which is, which is pretty cool. And also, uh, to, to further the praise of the Braves, um, they, also have I think the fourth best ERA in this span. Um, they their FIP is not uh, up to par necessarily, but uh, in terms of run prevention, they have been doing uh, also pretty well with that, along with their extremely extremely good offense. 
Um, so there's mm-hmm. that as well. And they have, they still have Max Fried uh, coming off the IL soon, which will be a, a major added bonus. And who knows what they'll do with the deadline too. So um, yeah. yeah, they they project to be a very, a very scary team. And also, also with the, with the Dodgers and Padres, with the Dodgers and Padres, not, you know, dominating the way maybe they were necessarily expected to. I mean, I think the Braves are maybe becoming the team to beat in the National League right now. They they absolutely are. What are they, 58 and 28 right now? Yeah. Already 30 games over 500 before the All-Star break. Yeah, that's absolutely the team to beat. And uh, I think I think they've overtaken the Rays as the best record in MLB. I would believe it. That would that makes sense to me. I know they they just overtook them in MLB's power rankings as number one. Uh, yeah. And yeah, no, they do indeed have a better record across the board than the Tampa Bay Rays. Right. Yeah. Pretty wild. Pretty wild. Um, you know, just in general, always we we kind of have to shout out Alex Anthopoulos and the roster construction here. Um, like the the trades he's you know the the trades he's been able to pull off with Olsen and uh Murphy along with the great um early contract signings of Albies and and Acuna and all these guys uh has contributed to what's a good team and what looks to continue to be a good team as time goes on mm-hmm. absolutely um, so so yeah, the Braves uh are the yeah, the best team in baseball right now. Um overall and especially over the last 29 games. Uh another team who has been doing really well, not going to be necessarily threatening the Braves uh in the NL East, but are really increasing their odds of getting another playoff chance and another shot uh and a shot at, you know, potentially going back to the World Series. Um although it, you know, we're talking extremes here in july but a team that has kind of righted the ship is the philadelphia phillies who have won 20 of their last or i think 21 of their last uh 28 now uh for the second best record in baseball of course they're losing ground on the braves who have been doing better uh but they are gaining ground in the playoff race what have you been thinking about what the phillies have have been able to do so we just went off on the Braves offense for a while and the Phillies pitching has been kind of just as good. Uh, uh, they lead the league in pitching uh, F war over the same span since June 3rd. Uh, and a lot of it has been specifically the rotation. Taiwan Walker, uh, their big free agent signing has actually been their best pitcher uh, over the last, over his last six starts. He's six and zero with a one sixty two ERA and a two ninety one FIP. Uh, that gives him a 1.3 F war. Zach Wheeler, uh, always dependable. He's been excellent. Excellent strikeout to walk ratio. Ten point zero one strikeouts per nine. One point eight two walks per nine. Limited home run damage. A three point three four ERA and a two point seven five FIP. Uh, Ranger Suarez and Aaron Nola have also been fantastic. And Craig Kimbrell has found it again. Fifteen point four three strikeouts per nine. One point nine three walks per nine. No home runs allowed. A FIP below one. Uh, he's been fantastic as well. Uh, bullpen's been fine. Uh, starting rotation specifically has been fantastic. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, looking at, uh, looking at the contributors, uh, last night and seeing who was, you know, um, making this, 
run possible for the Phillies, this run where they're winning 21 out of 28. Uh, it was kind of surprising to see the contributors and and with Taiwan Walker being the the head of that ship, Ranger Suarez also being a major factor and and Craig Kimbrell seemingly finding his uh you know whether it be 20 early 2021 self or 2017 self, you know, he's or 2012 self. He seems to scatter success around sometimes, but finding that uh which is really important for the Phillies, by the way, like him finding that is really important because the Phillies have had a long history of bullpen problems. So having a stopper at the end, if, if Kimbrell can continue that, that could potentially be, be big, especially in the playoffs. But, uh, but yeah, like it's been sort of surprising some of the contributors that they've had, because it's not just Wheeler and Nola. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they've, been a full team effort the bullpen as well has been excellent they do have a 16.7 percent home run to fly ball ratio uh which isn't fantastic but i mean they've had very excellent strikeout to walk numbers across the board i mentioned craig kimbrell uh he was the reliever of the month i believe in june so you know he's back on he's back on his usual usual stuff uh but yeah i mean it's really been the pitching as a whole entirely yeah it's been it's been the pitching it's been a lot of run prevention and uh, one thing I did, I did find a little bit surprising uh, when I was looking at the Phillies was, you know, a great ERA lower than their FIP, which is not usually what's happening. You know, the, the Phillies have been known to have a bad defense for the past essentially half decade. But in the month of June, the Phillies are plus three in outs above average. And uh, if, you know, not not to be that guy but if you take away kyle schwarber it's plus 10 (laughs) it's it's just kyle schwarber shouldn't be in the outfield it's just that bryce harper um bryce harper has to be a dh so he can't play defense so they unfortunately they have to put schwarber out there who's been you know he's he's not he's not he shouldn't be in the field unfortunately uh but but when you take out schwarber uh in the month of june they had a plus 10 outs above average and to point out specific players uh i need to uh get this list going but yeah specific players in the month of june bryson stott had four outs above average uh cody clemens had two edmundo sosa had two and trey turner also had two outs above average in the month of june so um you know some things being cleaned up in 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 philadelphia like defensively uh you don't really you know, sometimes you could expect a pitching breakout from the team, but a defensive breakout, that's really surprising. Yeah, no, a defensive one as well. You know, we've we've talked a lot about it, like how pitching and specifically bullpen is normally the issue, but defense is even worse. Um, but yeah, the fact that they've been excelling along with everything else, it almost feels like the offense has been like almost like the least contributive, which is weird, which is not, not even like a a knock on the offense because they've still been very good but you look at what the pitching has done as a whole you look how much the defense has improved and it really seems like they're putting it all together right now yeah they they really are they really are um they stand uh if the season ended today they would be in the playoffs as that six seed in the national league playoffs um you know out looking it you have the you have the marl you know the marlins dodgers and phillies have those wild card spots um, you have the Brewers knocking at the door and then the Mets and Padres are, you know, you could always, you can, 
you can't bank on it, but there is always potential for a resurgence with them. But the Phillies are, you know, rising in the playoff ranks. Um, I mean, they proved to be dangerous in the playoffs last year. Uh, what's, you know, what's the potential that they, you know, make a series run again? I mean, you know, the thing that we saw last year is as long as you get to the season, you have a shot, even if it's against a team that statistically uh, should be a lot better than you. We saw the Phillies take down, you know, the Braves and the Cardinals, two division champions last year. Um, and they have the rotation and the pitching to do it, as we've seen in this last, you know, month plus. Right, exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, and it if this Taiwan Walker, if, if Taiwan Walker continues to, you know, not continues to do this, you know, like a sub one ERA, but continues to be a quality starting pitcher. Uh, I think that's a big, that's a big step for the Phillies. Like, you know, we, we all know about the success of Wheeler and Nola and, and how good they are. Uh, but last year, you know, putting Suarez as a game three guy who has been improving, but putting Suarez as a game three guy and then Syndergaard as a game four, it made things harder for the Phillies. If Walker can be that, you know, close that gap between how good uh how good the the number two and number three guys are, I think there's I think that puts the Phillies in a much better position. But yeah, I was, you know, I know I personally was kind of critical of that Taiwan Walker deal. I did not think he was worth the eighteen million dollars a year that they were giving him. However, he could prove, you know, he could prove me wrong here. And if he makes the Phillies two-headed monster, a three-headed monster this year, um, or, you know, maybe a modified three-headed monster. That makes the Phillies extremely dangerous. I mean, maybe put your hopes out for uh, winning a, a best of three with them because, I mean, all three could be great weapons to have. Uh, we saw how dangerous they were in a, th- in a best of three last year. Um, it, 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 it makes winning a short series against them very difficult. Uh, and it makes them a very dangerous wild card team. Yep. It's exciting to see, like, you know, even with the Braves being so far ahead, like the, the idea that the, the NLEs could still be competitive, like I think is pretty cool. That not to even mention the Marlins who just keep winning. They, you know, found a way a couple of nights against, like last night against the Cardinals. They also beat them 15 to nothing the other day. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's funny because you look at the National League East, um, you look at the National League East uh, standings and you see, you know, Braves, Marlins, Phillies, Mets and Nationals. And if if you just swap the Marlins and Mets, it would make complete sense. Mm-hmm. But the the Marlins are the ones 13 games above 500 and the Mets are the ones five games below 500. Um, you know, that's baseball. That's that's why we that's why you play the games, as they say. Uh, but yeah, um. Anything more before we get into uh, players to highlight? Uh, no, that was all I had. All right. Well, uh, that does it for the news segments of today. We will now get into players to highlight, starting with highlighting players that have been doing particularly well uh, over a span or maybe potentially even over the whole year. Or it's a subject that's doing particularly well. We forgot that. We we haven't done one this year, um, but we will we will probably get to that at some point. Um mm-hmm. So now we get into our Thursday, July 6, 2023 edition of How About That? 
He's striking out less, walking more, and he's also making better contact. Turning into a strikeout machine just out of nowhere. He's been excellent all around this year. He is getting a... How about that? That's right. For my how about that today, I am crossing another team off the list. We've talked a lot about this team lately, but we actually have not highlighted them on this sub in this uh, this segment. Talking about Spencer Steer from the Cincinnati Reds because he's been raking uh, for quite some time now, since May 21st. He is slashing 329, 425, 572 for a 998 OPS and a 162 weighted runs created plus. Uh, that weighted runs created plus ranks tied for eighth in the majors in this span. His OBP is fifth, and I believe his slugging is 11th. So he's been great all around. Uh, during this span, he has a 37.5% fly ball rate. That is the 12th highest among the 110 hitters with at least 100 batted balls. And he also has a 28.7% ground ball rate that is tied for the lowest on that same list. So, I mean, playing in Cincinnati and having a lot of power, you want to maximize your fly ball potential. And that's exactly what Spencer Steer is doing. And it's no, it's no secret to see why he has these numbers. Uh, before this span, his average launch angle on the season was 16. And in this span, it is 22 degrees. So he's lifting the ball a lot more, uh, and obviously that's helping him out. Before the span, his K rate was 21.8%, and in the span, he's dropped it to 13.8%. Uh, and also 20.2% of his batted balls have been zero degrees or lower. That is the third lowest rate in the majors behind only Eugenio Suarez and Mookie Betts. So Spencer Sear is striking out less. He is lifting the ball more in a hitter-friendly ballpark. And he is currently on pace to become the fourth Cincinnati Reds rookie to qualify with a 130 OPS plus or higher. The other three that have done it were 1956 Frank Robinson, 1926 Walter Christensen, and of course 1889 Bug Holiday, who did it in the American Association. Uh, and Spencer Steer is on pace to join that list right now. Yeah, Spencer Steer. How about that? Um. Yeah, that is a, a good analysis there. Like you mentioned, yeah, a team being crossed off the list. We've talked about them a lot, but yeah, they haven't found, they haven't graced the uh, the how about that seg segment uh, quite yet. Um, and yeah, with, uh, you know, looking at how about that's trying to cross teams off the list. I also saw the trend there. Um, and I also wanted to highlight Spencer Steer because because yeah i mean we haven't talked about a red yet and it was it was time and if and if you didn't pick if you didn't pick him and i didn't pick him because i thought you were going to pick him that would be that would be a tough scene so that's what we got to do and uh i luckily i picked a different span for Sp spencer steer i have some other stats to uh point out uh why he's been succeeding uh so spencer steer in his last so he's been doing good long term but also in his last 11 games he is hitting 415 with a 1252 OPS. Out of 186 qualifiers in the span, his average ranks fifth, on base percentage ranks first, and OPS ranks fifth. Uh, out of 154 hitters with 25 plus batted balls in the span, his expected WOBA ranks 12th. And his strikeout rate has gone from 18% before the span to 14% in the span. And his walk rate has gone from 10% to 18%. Uh, a lot of this has had his been due to him seeing better counts he has gone from seeing three ball counts in 22 percent of his plate appearances to seeing them in 30 percent of his plate appearances in this span 
uh, along with that, his sweet spot rate has gone from 35% to 47% uh, in his last 11 games. And that sweet spot rate ranks eighth highest out of 154 in the span. Along with that, his barrel rate has gone from 6% all the way up to 12%. And his fly ball rate has gone from 31% to 41%. And sometimes sometimes that could be turned out, that that could be uh, seen as maybe a bad thing, but he's hitting hard fly balls. His average exit velocity on fly balls has gone from 91.9 miles per hour to 93.8 miles per hour. And he's gone from pulling 31% of his fly balls to pulling 50% of his fly balls. And because of these factors, he is hitting 429 and slugging 1286 on fly balls in his last 11 games. Uh, so Spencer Steer from both of us getting a... How about that? Um, yeah, yeah, well-deserved. Well-deserved. The, uh, the only teams left on the list are... We only have four left. The Mets, the Yankees, the Phillies, and the Cardinals. Yeah, and, and it, as you mentioned uh, a couple episodes Three ago... Three of those teams, I feel like, have kind of uh, undershot their expectations a little to this point. So the Phillies, I'd say, are right around par. Yeah, it, it, like you mentioned, it usually may, like, it usually kind of makes sense. Um, like, it, there usually is a correlation between team performance and the amount of how about that's we do or or the amount of slightly mm-hmm. alarmings we do. Shout out to 2021 when we had nine Padres sl- slightly alarmings uh, yeah. in one season. Um, and I think last year, the most slightly alarmings we did was like the White Sox. So there usually is correlation between, you know, underperforming teams or overperforming teams and and uh, how many how about that's or slightly alarmings we do. But yeah, Spencer's to your well-deserved, uh, good rookie. Um. And he's doing extremely well. Uh, now we go from the highs to the lows where we're talking players and subjects that have been underperforming for our Thursday, July 6, 2023 edition of Slightly Alarming Statistics. He's been barreling up the ball way less. He's not missing bats. He's not getting the ball on the ground. And people are hitting it in the air more. It's been so bad. He is getting a... Slightly alarming. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned teams that, you know, have a lot of slightly alarming in a season because they underperform this team uh probably i know we've done a couple this season uh, i feel like there could be more in the future if they continue to perform this way so i'm talking about luis castillo from the seattle mariners uh he had a great start to the season but he's really cooled off uh for a while now over his last five starts he has a 425 era and a 639 fip he has been the worst qualifying pitcher in the majors over that span by F4, and that is due to his league-leading 2.73 home runs per nine. Uh, it's gone up almost two full home runs since before this span. Uh, additionally, his walk his walks per nine before this span was 2.04, and in this span, it is 3.64. So he's walking about a guy and a half more per nine innings in this span. Uh, before this, his fly ball rate was 21.5%, and in the span, it is up to 32.9%. His ground ball rate has also gone from 43.1% to 37.8%. So, Luis Castillo is, you know, giving up a lot more balls in the air and a lot less on the ground. Um, this is one that I found particularly interesting. Luis Castillo has a has 28 batted balls against his four-seamer in the span, and 21 of them have been either fly balls or pop-ups. That is 75%. And 
and he's allowed three home runs and a double, uh, you know, in that group. And only three of those 28 have been uh, ground balls. That is 10.3%. And that is the seventh lowest among the 230 hitters with at least 10 batted balls against their four-seamer. And to top it all off, opponents are also hitting 309 and slogging 588 against Castillo's other three pitches, which would be his sinker, his curveball, and his or his, his changeup. So Luis Castillo uh, apparently has not had much working for him uh, lately. Luis Castillo. Slightly alarming. All right, much better. Um, all right, so Luis Castillo, yeah, been giving up a lot of home runs, um, been giving up a lot more fly balls, and therefore um, also more home runs. So my slightly alarming comes from a team that we expected more out of, uh, to go with the theme of that. Um, my player comes from the Toronto Blue Jays. He's actually one of the offseason additions this team made. I'm talking about Dalton Varshow, who was uh, in a trade for Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Gabriel Moreno, uh, traded from the Diamondbacks. Uh, great defense, uh, had some very good offense last year, too, along with good base running, but uh, in his last 13 games, he is hitting 163 with a 405 OPS. Out of 182 qualifiers in this span, his average is seventh lowest, on base percentage is fourth lowest, slugging is third lowest, and OPS is third lowest. And uh, his expected numbers are actually uh, worse than his act than his actual numbers. You know, he's hitting 163 with a 134 expected batting average, and out of uh, 262 batters with 25 plus batted balls in this span. Uh, Dalton Varsho's expected batting average ranks second worst, expected slugging ranks third worst, and expected Woba also ranks second worst out of 262. And much of this has to do with an extreme rise in strikeout rate. His strikeout rate has gone from 20% before the span to 41% in this span. Uh, his strikeout rate is the second highest out of 182 qualifiers in this span. Also, his whiff rate has gone from 23% to 36%. And out of 311 hitters with 50-plus swings in this span, his whiff rate ranks 25th highest. Uh, along with that, in his last 13 games, he is hitting he is hitting and slugging 118 on four-seam fastballs. And his whiff rate on four-seamers has gone from 22% to 41%. And out of 226 hitters with 25 plus swing, uh, out of 226 hitters with 25 plus swings against four seamers in the span, his whiff rate on four seamers is 11th highest. That's you know bottom top five percent uh, whiff rate in the bad way. Uh, along with that, his average exit velocity has gone from 85.9 miles per hour to 83.83.9 miles per hour. His sweet spot rate has gone from 38% to 28%. His line drive rate has gone from 25% to 16%, and on 25 batted balls, he also has zero barrels. So nothing really going right for Dalton Varsho in his last 13 games. He is, uh, he's striking out much more because he is swinging and missing much more and swinging and missing on four-seam fastballs much more uh, at one of the worst rates in baseball, and he's hitting the ball softer and in less optimal uh, spots of the uh, you know launch angle spectrum, so uh, Dalton Varsho getting a slightly alarming. Um, all right, so that should do it for players to highlight. Um, now we'll get into a little weekend of the pre, uh, a little 
uh, preview of the weekend plus ahead ish um, as we are recording on Thursday. Um, I will be looking at the series to watch. Daniel will be looking at the day by day pitching matchups to look at um, as as far as they're announced. Um, and for series to watch, uh, one that starts tonight, I believe, uh, that is a four game series is the Astros and Mariners. Um, Mariners have been a struggling team. Uh, Astros are starting to get their uh, their feet their feet under them. So, you know, something to look out for. I think it's always pretty fun when those two teams match up. Match up. At least it's been that way for the past couple of years. Um, and then as far as series that start um, tomorrow on Friday, uh, you have the Dodgers and the Angels going at it. You know, the, the Battle of Los Angeles there. Shout out to uh, Rage Against Smith. The machine the battles of los angeles but yeah the dodgers and angels are going at it uh should be a fun matchup even without trout and maybe even without otani um along with that the marlins and phillies are going at it phillies as we talked about really really hot marlins have been doing extremely well also overall in the season as well as recently and the premier series to watch a series all uh baseball fans should have their eyes on are the two is on the two best teams in Major League Baseball as far as record goes. The Rays are hosting the Braves for a three-game set uh, at Tropicana Field. So, uh, yeah, that is a that is the premier series to watch. Definitely keep your eyes on that one. Uh, what do you have for the day-by-day pitching matchups? So today on Thursday, July 6th, this one kicks off in an hour or half an hour, but Mackenzie Gore is pitching for the – Nationals against the Reds at Nationals Park. They're wrapping up that series today. Uh, All-star Michael Lorenzen will be going for the Detroit Tigers against the Oakland Athletics in Comerica Park. Yeah. Um, you'll have Jose Barrios and Lance Lynn facing each other in the first end of the... Uh, are the Blue Jays and White Sox playing a doubleheader today? Because it says one game kicks off at 5-10 and one kicks off at 5-15. Yeah, they, uh, they got rained out yesterday. Uh, that's why I was okay. able to get Varsho's stats yesterday. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Jack Flaherty and Yuri Perez are facing each other in Cardinals and Marlins in Miami. Uh, they're wrapping up that series today as well. Luis Severino will be pitching for the uh, Yankees against Kyle Bradish of the Orioles. Uh, Tanner Bybee will be pitching for the Guardians against the Royals at home. Nathan Ovaldi will be making his return to Fenway Park uh, facing the Red Sox and Carter Crawford. I will be there tonight. So very excited to see that. Yeah. Uh, very excited to hear all the takes from the fans around me. Uh, yeah. Very look, much looking forward to that one. Um, George Kirby will be facing the Astros for the Mariners. The Astros have yet to announce a starter. Uh, Carlos Carrasco and Ryan Nelson will face each other in Mets Diamondbacks in Arizona. Johan Oviedo and Julio Arias will face each other in Pirates and Dodgers. And matchup of the of the day comes from Cubs Brewers. It's Marcus Stroman versus Freddie Peralta. Uh, yeah, Mar- Marcus Stroman been one of the best run preventers of the last couple months. Yeah, uh, in on Friday, uh, Alec Manoa returns for the Blue Jays. will be facing the Tigers in Comerica Park. Uh, Charlie Morton and Tyler Glass now will face each other in Braves and Rays. Um, you will have, uh, who else? I'm going through these for the first time. Luis Castillo and Hunter Brown facing each other in Mariners Astros. 
Uh, I'm fully expecting Luis Castillo to give up three home runs that game because anytime any of my F4 pitchers face the Astros, it's a disaster. Mm. Um, so I'm ready for that one. Uh, Andrew Abbott and Corbin Burns will face each other in Reds Brewers in Milwaukee. Andrew Abbott's been really exciting to watch these last few starts. Justin Verlander and Yu Darvish will face each other in Mets Padres. That is an awesome one. Uh, and matchup of the night comes from Phillies and Marlins in Miami. It's Zach Wheeler versus Sandy Alcantara. That is a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah. You're going to want to watch that. On Saturday, Um, you will have Kevin Gosman facing the Tigers for the Blue Jays in Comerica Park. Uh, Sonny Gray and Tyler Wells will face each other in Orioles Twins in Minnesota. Uh, both of them have been excellent this year uh, at run prevention specifically. Brady Singer and Gavin Williams will face each other in Royals Guardians in Cleveland. Uh, you will have Braxton Garrett and Ranger Suarez facing each other in Phillies Marlins in Miami. Um, Framber Valdez will be facing the Mariners for the Astros in Houston. Uh, Reed Detmers will be facing the Dodgers for the Angels in the Freeway Series in uh, Hollywood. Uh, Blake Snell will be facing the pa- the Mets for the Padres uh, in San Diego. And a matchup of the night comes from Braves Rays. It is Spencer Strider versus Taj Bradley. Hmm. A couple young guns going at it. Yeah, a couple of strikeout machines. Uh, And then on Sunday, not a whole lot is announced. Uh, Matchup of the day for now, I'll say, either is Chris Bassett versus Tarek Skubal from uh, Blue Jays Tigers. Skubal just came off the IL after getting Tommy John surgery. And Bryce Elder versus Zach Eflin in Braves Rays. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I had a random uh, thought, but it's weird having two Spencer STs doing really well like at the same time and i don't know it's like you could you could start your sentence by by like saying spencer and then like and you don't you don't know what directions here you still don't know are we talking about a picture or are we talking about a hair yeah yeah it's confusing (laughs) um yeah that was just random thought uh that should do it for this installment of above replacement radio really good to uh, get back on here after a nine-day layoff. Uh, happy to talk yeah. about all the subjects that we missed out on. And uh, yeah, that will do it. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens or just check out the digital content, go to the YouTube channel. It is called Above Replacement Radio. And please subscribe to that YouTube channel. Uh, and if you're listening on YouTube and want to check out the audio-only platforms, go to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Look up Above Replacement Radio. We'll be right there for you. And if you want to follow us on social media, uh, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran and maybe what threads? Yeah, I was literally going to say follow me on threads at Daniel underscore Curran. Yeah, because, um, yeah, that is a, that's a new thing. It's got uh, 10 million users already. Um, yeah. So, yeah, follow him on those platforms and follow the show Instagram at above replacement radio for all the show needs. And we hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you next time where we will be talking all the happenings in major league baseball. Once again, see you then this conversation, this conversation is over is over.